0: It's interesting, it follows Genesis 22. <laughs> Crazy, eh? It's deep suffering. So we're going to look at Genesis 23. Bless our But el helu gele Asher-Bach-Nar-Banu Niko HaAmin ben ath et torato lo 10 torah lo 10 lo Abba, once again, we fall at your feet, and, and we bow, and we bow low to you, Lord. For you are worthy Where the King is, Lord, His kingdom reign, Lord, is upon us. So, Lord, as we go through Your Word, let Your Spirit enlighten our minds, Lord. Reveal things to us that we might not have known. And show us, Lord, the way of salvation. Yeshua's name, Lord, we also. Amen. Amen. So last week we had uh, finished uh, chapter 22. And we saw that Abraham had grown to a point of maturity where his commitment was tested and ultimately he was rewarded. So his son Isaac was actually, in Abraham's mind, dead already. But the Lord had postponed that death for himself. What it showed us was spiritual testing requires obedience in the midst of of crisis in our lives through faith in God's supernatural provisions right as he said he will provide himself the land so you never know what a day will bring right yesterday had some fires and in the mainland a cop got shot he dead. well the family doesn't have a father but so we must live in the moment with God before us And one thing we must understand is that our past exercises of faith, showing of faith, and as we've demonstrated our commitment to God at that time, will not give us a free pass when God comes to test us again. Now whenever God tests us, He knows that we can pass the test. He wants to raise our spirituality to the next level for what? In order to make us more and more like my son, <laughs> Well, that's not it. More like his son, Yeshua. But on the other side, like all the things that we've conquered in our spiritual life, our past failures will not doom us to failure again because we have conquered that, we have moved up. So I said that in every act of God, whether in blessing, or in trials, actually trials, he says, come and enjoy Right. What he does now, you think about this, he considers every one of us individually, each of our circumstances, and where we are in the state of growth in relation to his son. Individually, he looks at us. What does that mean? <laughs> we'll never attain Uh, the spiritualness of his son so that means we will be tested and tested and tested and as our faith grows someone said the faith that we grow here will somehow be used in the world to come I don't know I mean look at Abraham he was a hundred years old and he conquered so many um, obstacles in his life and he was still growing in his faith, even up to this point in chapter 23. So again, remember, he is intimately aware of every single one of us, everything we do. And he will never give any believer more than he or she can handle. And we always got to use as mile markers or memory stones what Elohim has done in the past whether in scripture, or in our lives, or in the lives of other believers, or even unbelievers, it's a model and an indication of how he will respond on our behalf. Now, chapter 22 comes just before chapter 23. But the positioning of this is very critical. Anyone know why? why is chapter 22 he's going to kill his son he gave up his son as dead and now 23 his wife is about to pass away the Lord wasn't going to give Abraham anything more than he could handle I don't think before that I don't think he could handle the loss of his wife Sarah. Uh, now, for me I remember when I was small maybe like my son's age I seen my friends um parents died, a mom, a uh, dad. My, my brother died when I was like seven degrees. And I told God, if you ever kill, if ever my parents pass away, before I'm old enough, I will hold you responsible. <laughs> kind of stupid, but you look back, I look back and I say, but like, well, he honored that, you know? He honored that, I don't know if it was a prayer or it was a, from a heart like Lord. I cannot lose my parents. I think I would lose it if I do. That's where I was when I was growing up I couldn't handle it. I was honest. And he came through. I wasn't even a believer. And then my mom passed away when I became a believer. So I could handle it because he was in my life. I almost lost my son. But when I was an unbeliever, That was incredible. I felt like I was falling through a chasm and I just falling, falling. And only the doctors are talking to me. I'm looking at the doctor and I feel like "Ah!" falling. So, Abraham and even his son, Isaac, have come to a place where even death, even death itself, will have no adverse effects on their spirituality sometimes I remember when I was young when they would um, we go to the grave they would lower the grave right and then they would start burying and then I would see people jump in the grave and you have to grab people and stop them from diving in the grave that's why nowadays they, they don't do that anymore you have to like leave the premises but wow, those things like, And intense intense yeah and it, even the people you knew they had strife between them, and they don't want to like, jump down. Like, oh my gosh, they're like remorseful, right? They didn't make amends, so now they feel like if I jump there, i to make amends. But we gotta make amends before those things happen. So, one question they ask is: Do we really live like we believe in the promises of God? God's promises today will impact our future reality. Which is in the messianic kingdom and even into the eternal order. For now we live in what? Hope. What is hope? Not having received the fulfillment of many of God's promises towards us. The very nature is described in the scriptures as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So even in First Thessalonians, one of those rapture passages, it says, it tells the believer to not grieve as the rest who have no hope. So the, the people in Thessalonica are saying, Oh, my brothers and sisters are dying off. What about them? How are they going to enter into the kingdom? Says, no, the Lord is going to come back and they're going to raise first. But the promise is that the Lord's return will provide hope. For the believers who are alive, and the believers who have passed. So we're going to see an example of what it looks like to grieve as one who lives for eternity. As one who knows that death is only a passageway to the other side. As one who looks forward to God fulfilling all of His future promises. And we know that Abraham did not grieve as the rest would have the hope. So one of the points we got to see is our decisions and investments must reflect faith in God's promises. But sometimes we hear that and it doesn't even affect us. You know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah, whatever. But what you want is complete faith because he can do whatever he needs to do to fulfill our spiritual life especially in dealing with death. And for me, when I was young, I couldn't handle it. Remember, I got the phone call, Easter morning, it was like three or four o'clock in the morning. I slept downstairs in the shower seat watching TV when I had one TV in the house. Remember those days, one TV in the house. Nowadays, you get TV in every room. So I met, I hit a phone ring, and I answered, hello, Uh, is this the two other yeah. your son Jimmy is uh, in a car accident pretty bad He might not make it so I tell my parents and they go yes yeah, by the time my dad got to the hospital he was already passed yeah? so my brother-in-law was there and he told my dad oh, don't go identify the body Let me go I don't want you to see uh, what he looks like now I see what he would remember, remember what he looked like before so, those things really have an impact on us. So, dealing with death, it triggers, some, deep emotional reactions that could actually undermine our faith in the promises of God. Sometimes we can forget. And that's why it's good to have uh, funeral services that, like, we did a uh, Velatonism in Calvary Chapel, for Harbor. Pastor Darrell is solid. I mean, he. He lifts lifts us up. He encourages us in the faith. He's going to share some truths, some hard truths that for all of you out there who don't know the Lord, hell is real. The lake of fire is real. So he brings those sins so we can deal with them. So as far as Abraham was concerned, the fact that Sarah had died did not mean that she was not not going to inherit the promises of Abraham. Now he was certain of that. We're going to see. Because he wanted her to have a place in that land. So that that spot where he's going to So that there would be a fulfillment of the Abrahamic promises in that exact spot. So no matter how long we live. Unless the Lord returns first. We are all appointed to die. Are we ready mm-hmm. Who can be ready to die it's an unsurety eh? did he really die for my sins did jesus really raise from the dead that's where we we, we test our faith yeah? but for those that we leave behind if we pass our death is a reality check and they must look at it in the face of adversity so genesis 23 verse 1 it says now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Now one of the rabbis, Rabbi Akiva, made a correlation between Sarah and Esther. Yeah, interesting. Yeah? Next week we will be talking about Esther, looking at her life a little more deeply. So Sarah was the princess of nations, or who lived to 127 years old. Esther. Was one of Sarah's descendants, of whom we'll we'll see next week when we celebrate Purim. So dress as your favorite biblical character. She was the queen. The Bible says. You know how many provinces she was the queen of? 127 provinces. So the rabbis they look at scripture and they, they have a way of like putting stuff together. Now the rabbis also praised Sarah's beauty. So she was included among the other most beautiful women in the Bible. Which included Rahab, she was a harlequin, she was beautiful, Abigail, and Chathasah herself, Esther. we look at this, Sarah was the first matriarch of the Jewish nation. We see that Sarah holds a high status in Yehovah's economy. I would like to make a few observations between Sarah and a couple other women in the Torah. First, it is very important to note here that she is the only woman in all of Scripture whose age is given at death. Not only in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament. Why is that? Because without her, there would be no promised seed line, right? So it had to start somewhere and it started with her which she would bring about Yeshua the provision of salvation for the world so through her that is how Yeshua the Savior of the world will arrive on the scene and what this also teaches that Elohim is faithful to those who love him till the very end of these 127 years today that seems pretty long what does the Torah teach What's the normal age a man when he 70, if he blessed 80 years? Elohim was always faithful. Who was the oldest uh, person in the Bible? Methuselah. Methuselah. He was 900, he was almost a thousand years old. The Lord was faithful to him for a thousand years. What can we um, gain from that? What kind of information? So whether we live a little bit here, you know, like on the tombstone, David, Tamala, 1965, in the middle, our life is like that, right? A little hyphen. Our life is hyphening. It's not even where we belong. We sojourn, just like Abraham. We don't have any citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, the Bible says. So he's faithful. So we can be confident that there will be a thousand year. And he will be faithful in that thousand year praying on earth because he has already shown that ability to be faithful to those here on earth so whether a believer lives many years or little years Jehovah will always remain faithful and because of that very thing we ought to trust him with all our heart with all our soul and all our strength now who was the first um, Lady, a woman in the Bible. Anybody know? She began humanity, right? So she began humanity. But what did she do before that? Anybody remember? She garnered the help and alliance of her husband to consciously disobey Elohim, right? She's like, honey, look at that mango. Some red mango. The Papa, you know his woman. And because of that, a faithful lineage had to be found. Like who is going to start this faithful lineage? Because in Genesis 3 says, there's going to be enmity between the seed and the woman, and then through that, he's going to become a Savior. And that's why Sarah was needed to procure or bring forth the promised Savior. Now I'm not trying to minimize these importance in Scripture, But in Jehovah's perspective, she was the weaker vessel, right? Ultimately, Adam was not responsible, but she was the weaker vessel who had succumbed to Satan's deception. So in our households, most times, our wives can be deceived easier than us, us men. Think about that, right? We always got to be there for our wives. We cannot fail them, like how Abraham, uh, Adam failed in his role as the spiritual head of his household. Now, before we look at the other three matriarchs of the faith, like this, uh, this quick thing that the rabbis teach concerning the name change of Sarah, Sarah Sarai, to Sarah, and Abraham. Abraham. Get the, the word on top of each other. So the top one is Avram, and you see the you almost see the same letters, but there's a letter, the fourth letter on the bottom is a hey. Yeah? that's the H sound. So he went from Avram to Avraham. So, that, that so Abram means, went from Abraham to Abraham, which means exalted father, to the father of the nations, or father of multitudes. And then Sarah, so the first one is, on this right side, is Sarai. Sarai, and the other one on the left is Sarah. So you see that one last little letter up there, looks like a little apostrophe. That's the Yud. And then you is going to be changed to the He. just like Aram and Saint each was added. So from Sarai to Sarah it means my princess is Sarai so that's uh, what's her name? Zoe. Zoe I'm gonna call her Sarai from now on. My brother Tony's uh, daughter he should always call her my princess so I'm gonna call her Sarai and it went from princess my princess to princess or the mother of nations. So rabbis teach that, that letter Yod, next to Sarai, felt bad. This is the rabbi's story, it felt bad. Now we know that's the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So that little letter complained because it was now at the end of a name. Because remember it was first in, in God's name, Yehovah. That yod is first in line. Now it's last in line. So he was complaining to the Lord. So Jehovah removed it from Sarai. So he took that yod away and he put it in front of Hosea or Hosea And that became Yehoshua which was Joshua, which means salvation. So he not actually saved the yod. He saved the people with the yod. That's what the rabbis. Interesting thought process. Now the yod, or the y or, or the i whatever you the numerical value is is ten. The, the. So that's I thought I had lost all my notes and stuff. My, my iPad wouldn't turn on and the next day it would turn on and not turn on and go off. I didn't know I had to update it. <laughs> <laughs> so I updated it last night 1 1.30 in the morning and I was like falling asleep. Then I could do something maybe. It's uh, light. Like? Huh? No more. That's okay. So, so the numerical value of that yield there is 10. And the numerical value of that hay over there is 5. So that yod is taken out and that hay is placed in for Sarah. So 10 minus 5, you get down. don't like, it's Oh, okay. So anyway, 10 minus 5. So we have 5 left. So the rabbi said there's another H that's still outstanding. So, what the rabbis taught that this is where Aphrah got his age from. So, there was that Yod was split in half into two 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 Fives, and one was for Sarah, and the other was given to Abraham. That's how they both got their names. So, the rabbis said that the age is important in the names of the matriarchs. So, after Sarah, who was Sarai and became Sarah, Rivka, becomes the next matriarch, and then Leah and then Rachel. Now Rachel they said there is no hay in her name but how she gets her H is from her handmaid. Anyone know her handmaid's name? Her name is Bilhah and Bilhah has two H's so one is from Bilhah they took the other one and gave it to Rachel so now everybody in the nature of line had the H, and they say H is for family or life, that's what they believe. Okay, so verse 2. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Kanaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So Kiriath Arba was the original name of this place, and in Hebron is the name today. Some say if you look at um, Joshua, it says Arba was the greatest man of the Anatites, A scary group of warriors. Or some people say Arba is four. So it's the, it named the four women that were buried in that um, grave site. So it says he went there. So Hebron means friend. Isn't that Hebron. It brought me strength, and it was used for Abraham. Why? Because Abraham is known as the friend of God. Yes, and this is what is this? So the crying went through the traditional mourning customs. Is mourning? So what they would normally do is tear their clothes, they cut their beard dust on their head and they would fast now, i don't know if abraham did this he might have worn but this is the culture where they would do and they would do all this in the presence of the body so while he's in with the body that's what they would do so just like how it was in hawaii before they had very elaborate and intense processes that they went through when someone died now, even like the samoans i mean when the people died even in the house and everybody come by a to visit the body. Right, right? I don't know he went to, booth who died when he went to Oh, my dad. Oh, when his dad died. And you know, you gotta come up with some cash. I mean, that's like a like, full-on cash grab, and thousands of dollars. So that's what they went to every time someone died. I know other places they have some other rituals now Genesis 50 tells us about Jacob which is Abraham's grandson when he died there was a 40-day period the whole family was there and he was being involved and they all grieved for 40 days in that um, area so Abraham didn't buy any land all he did was he had a well that became his own and he planted a tree to put some roots down he was content he had a faith in the lord enough faith to wait for the land to come to him in the lord's time but in the meantime his wife just died so she must be laid to rest so verse 3 then abraham rose from before his dead the wife and spoke to the sons of heth saying So here we have the negotiations, and the purchase of this cave, Machpelah Machpelah means double cave. I don't know if it's two caves or the size of two caves. But it's still there, you can go there in Israel. So he says, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. So he was an alien and a stranger, and he put his request in, in a courteous manner. Now we know the Lord gave him all the land, but he did not have ownership of the land yet, so he could wait. So verse four says, uh, verse five says, the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, "Hear us, my lord." So they call him, you are a mighty prince. Mighty prince. El Gabor is mighty God, so Sar Gabor is mighty prince among us. So the wife is a princess and he's a prince. Why is he a prince? Because he acts like royalty now. I mean, he can defend the, the people and he acts like royalty. And just like us, we've, we've gained an inheritance in the kingdom of God and we must act as royalty he says hear us that you might you are a mighty prince among us we saw how you slew the kings bury your dead in the choices of our graves none of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead so he's saying we can see that you are God's elect go ahead pick whichever one you want so this is how they started the bargaining process in the middle east so they politely offered abraham this land for free but it wouldn't stay there the expectation was that abraham would refuse to be free right like, no 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 no. not let I want free Rabbi. so he would refuse it and offer payment so verse 7 so abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land the sons of Heth. So they would bow, not, you know, like Japanese, they just, you know, the the high bodies. They would actually get on their knees, their head on the ground, that's how they would bow. That Middle Eastern culture. So Abraham's goal was to buy something, and when he bought it, he would be blameless. He wouldn't be trying to make a deal or try to underhand or undermine this guy in the transaction, because the Bible said, God despises those who minimize the value of a thing during negotiations and say, "Ah, oh, this thing not good. Ah, oh, it's not good." And then boast of the bargain after the deal is done. Every time I hear that uh, Proverbs 20, twenty fourteen, I remember those days we used to wheel and deal for stuff, and you know, ah, I think, jump up, everybody got a lot of but the Lord doesn't like that, right? But the opposite is also true. That when you inflate the price based on the demand. So you remember like the water? Remember the case of water with like $30 during the hurricane lane? $30 for one case of 24 water. That's one than a dollar per, right? Elohim despises those also who uh, inflate their prices. And this is actually what happens here. So verse 8, And he spoke to them saying, If it's your wish for me to bury my dead out of sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zohar. So in the Middle East, there always has to be a mediator. And so he was asking these sons of Hetham, Can you mediate between me and Ephron? So he knew what field he wanted. Because he already knew few they had, you know, some trees, the cave, and we'll be um, within, um, viewing distance from Mamre, which they ended up moving to. So they were going through all of this um, back and forth, which is a practice in the East. So verse 9, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns which is at the end of his field for the full price let him give it to me in your presence for this burial site so Abraham uses this media and he said you know what i'll pay you full price whatever you want so verse 10 now Ephraim was sitting among the sons of him indicating a position of authority he's sitting at the gate remember even Abraham all, all the leaders actually sit at the gate And Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons, even all who went into the gate of the city. So this is where all the um, transactions and legal things would happen. Verse 11 says, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Uh, interesting about this, Abraham didn't ask for the field. He only wanted the cave. But according to a, a Hittite law, if he bought the cave without the land, then the Hittites would have to pay taxes to the king. So they gave him everything. So Abraham bowed low to the people of the land. He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land he said if you will only please if you only please listen to me i'm going to give the offer i will give the price of the field accept it from me that i may bury my dead there so it's the whole scene is going on now Ephron answers Abraham very cleverly saying to him my lord listen to me a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver would be more than a... Well, this is like 100 pounds of silver, okay? What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. So what he's saying is, ah, what is 400 shekels? Yeah, I'll take that. What he's saying is, this is one of the most bargain deals right now. This price I'm giving you is cheap, very cheap. But in fact it was highly inflated price because the average cost was four shekels of silver per acre so he ends up paying 10 times more than it was actually worth so a laborer would earn 10 shekels a year so a laborer wouldn't even be able to afford this in his lifetime but this is part of the negotiations when you start high and then you can virtually not. Other if you guys watch, pawn stars, pawn shops, and these guys who buy cars. They always start high, and then not and I will wait low, and they end up in the middle. So that's kind of the thing that's going on here. So he offered this high price, knowing that, okay, now we're going to start negotiating. Abraham told us a surprise here. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham he weighed out for Ephron, the silver, which he had named in the hearing of the sons, 400 shekels of silver is his commercial standard. Abraham immediately, he didn't uh, barter or anything, immediately agreed to these terms. I'm sure Ephron and the Hittites, they're like, what? He's not going bargain? That's how we do I mean, I'll take the 400, the 10 times more than its worth. Some people say it was 100,000, uh, maybe 120,000 dollars would be for this plot of land. So Ephraim's field was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and cave which was in it. And all the trees were, which were in the field and were within all the confines of its border were deeded over. So sometimes deeded over at the time. I don't know if they had, you know, chiseled something in one rock, but those days your word were as good as writing. So they didn't really write anything down. It was an oral contract, an oral deed. And verse 18 says, To Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth, before all who went in the gate of his city, After this, Avram buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre that is his Hebron. So all in that one, maybe five-mile area in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for the burial site by the sons of him. So this is now the first plot of land that Abraham would own the first piece of this old promised land, which is many miles wide and many miles deep, but just like our faith, our faith starts off with little things. If you're faithful in the little things, the Lord will give you more and He'll grow you, grow you. So this is the picture of the entrance for the tomb of the patriarchs. If you go to Israel, Matpelah is close to Hebron. You can go and. Say hi to Sarah and all guys. So the thing is, can we handle the death? Can I handle the death of my wife? Probably not. Will I forget the prophecies of God? Probably not. Because I know for certain where she went. You know what I mean? And that's the hope that we have. And that's the hope that the Thessalonians had. They will remind you, no. The Lord will take the dead first. So if we have that kind of faith of Abraham, uh, his faith is the hugest faith in the Bible. Right? He is the father of our faith. Even though he started off bumbling and bumbling and failing, in the end, he was a solid, solid guy. Uh, death. <laughs> no adverse things happen to him. So next week um, we dress up and we uh, celebrate. And then um, I don't know how much tickets we should be there, but it's thirty dollars a ticket. So if you guys let go I don't know anybody who wants to go. Yeah, that's uh, cause yeah. we gotta get them as soon as possible because yeah. mine is a big church. Yeah <laughs> <a big church. laughs> oh, um, well have Yeah.